Well, good evening. Whew. All right. Three of you are awake. That's good. We're off to a good start. Yeah. Might hear some snoring in about five minutes. Just kidding. I know you wouldn't do that. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 tonight. You're going to look at a passage of scripture. Uh, I, I think sometimes as, as Christians, uh, and, and even perhaps those who are not Christians, uh, we, we sometimes wonder what God expects from me. What, what, what would God be pleased with? What would God want from me uh, in our everyday lives, but also even now as, as Christmas is coming? Uh, Christmas came to our house uh, uh, last night, that's right. Uh, so Christmas season is kind of, it's not really over for us, but it's kind of, a, it, we're kind of in an awkward position. We're like, man, it's, I don't know, I mean, Christmas is still like almost a week away, but I don't know, it's kind of just weird this year for us. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting, but getting to this subject of what does God expect from me, here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, I will begin reading in verse number 12, we'll read down through the rest of the chapter, we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 10, and in verse number 12, the Bible says, And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's, thy God, the earth also, with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. Verse 16, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty, and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger, and giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is thy God, that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons, and now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we are thankful, Lord, for the opportunity once again to be in your house. And Lord, we are thankful, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for that it is true. Lord, every word, every, every letter, every uh, piece of, um, of sentence structure, Lord, it's all there. It's all pure. It's all true, and we can trust it. And Lord, we thank you for that. And God, I pray you just help us, Lord, to apply your word to our lives tonight. Lord, I pray you just speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would be able to move about here, Father, freely. Lord, I pray you just uh, help us, Father, where we need it. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And if you remember, uh, back in the, uh, even the earlier part of the law, the books of the law, back in the Old Testament, when, uh, when Moses went up on the Mount Sinai and he was given the Ten Commandments, he came down, and there was obviously a, a big ruckus going on. There were some problems that were happening. Some people were doing things they were not supposed to do. Moses breaks the Ten Commandments. If you, weren't, if you didn't realize this, I'm giving you the first five books of the law in about three minutes. So here's how it goes. So Moses comes down. He, he breaks the tablets because he's angry. He's upset. God's people are, are acting like the world. They're doing things they ought not do. They are, are worshiping idols. They're, they're worshiping people or, or things they ought not to be worshiping. And so Moses says, you know, this is not right. He gets angry. Fast forward about a book and a half. You get to Numbers chapter 13, and they get close to the land of Canaan. Moses says, all right, I'm going to send out uh, 12 spies to go spy out the land of Canaan. 
every man or every tribe was to pick one person. That person came forward to Moses. Moses sent him out, go spy out the land. They come back. Ten, obviously we know the story. Ten were bad, two were good. Everybody ever seen that song when they were, when they were growing up? I know I didn't. Uh, so these spies came back, and because ten of them, ten of them came back and gave an evil report, the nation of Israel would rather believe these, these ten men their evil report rather than Moses, or rather than Joshua and Caleb, who gave the, the good report. And so because of this, God says in Numbers chapter uh, 14, verse 23, God tells them, you know, for ten times you've done the wrong thing, you've sinned against me, you've done the wrong thing, now this generation will not see the land of Canaan. So this generation is going to die off. They're going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. And all this time, Moses is the one that gets to lead them around. And here they're bickering and they're murmuring and they're complaining. And here we are now in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, Moses just recently has given the Ten Commandments again. This is the new generation. So Moses is giving a charge to this new generation of, hey, you guys weren't here. You didn't witness what your parents witnessed. You didn't get to witness the, the exodus coming out of Egypt. You didn't see all the miracles that God performed. You didn't see all the mighty works that God did as driving people out from the land that we're about to inherit. But here are some things that God expects from you. Here are some things that you need to do. And so that brings us to, Gen- to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and here in verse number 12. So the Bible says in verse number 12, there are four things here that I believe God would, would expect from us. And we see them right here. And it says here in verse 12, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord? Number one, God expects us to fear him. Now, the word fear, as it's written here, uh, is not in the context that people automatically assume when they hear the word fear. When you think of fear, sometimes you think of of being afraid, being shaken, being uh, unconvinced that, that the outcome is going to go in your favor. There is a fear. There is that, that, that fear. Uh, the context that we have here is more of a fear of reverence and respect and understanding who God is. This is the fear that we're talking about. Uh, two examples of this in Scripture are found in Jake, with Jacob and Esau in Genesis chapter 32. Uh, if you remember the story, Jacob and Esau, uh, Jacob stole Esau's birthright. Esau wanted to kill Jacob. You know, I'm, again, I'm giving you like a history lesson in about two minutes. Uh, so... So when, when Jacob and Esau, when they, they come back to meet each other, Jacob was afraid. Jacob prays out to God there in Genesis chapter 32 and asks God to deliver me, deliver him from Esau's hand because he is afraid for his life. Jacob is literally afraid for his life and the life of his, whole, uh, life of his family, his wife, his kids, everybody, he's afraid. He's afraid of his brother Esau. So that is the fear of being afraid. The other one is a fear of reverence. And we see that in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Abraham and Isaac, we know the story. Uh, Abraham and Isaac, Abraham is willing to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice because that's what, the, that's what God has told him to do. The angel of the Lord comes and says, Whoa, Abraham, stop. Stop what you're doing. I know now that thou fearest God. Now that type, that fear in that passage is talking about reverence. Understanding that God, that Abraham's view of God was right, it was holy, and that he respected God for who he is and that is what was, what was being talked about when, when the angel of the Lord talked about Abraham fearing God. So the fear of God, what does the fear of the Lord, what does the fear of God do for us? Well, first it brings wisdom. Look over in Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9, hold your place there in Deuteronomy. We'll be coming back there shortly. Proverbs chapter 9 and in verse number 10.
The Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. First, you see, the fear of the Lord brings wisdom. It brings wisdom. Psalm, uh, Psalm 111, verse number 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. We see that the fear of the Lord brings wisdom. Has anybody ever made a bad choice? I have. Lots of them, right? I will tell you this. I have never made a bad choice when the choice that I have made is in line with God's word. When the choice and the decisions you make are in line with the word of God, with what God would have for your life, you are not going to make a bad choice. That is called wisdom. It is using the word of God as allowing God to work through your life. Wisdom. All, it is the beginning of knowledge. You're there in Proverbs. Just flip over to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Proverbs 1, and in verse number 7, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Knowledge, the, the, the easiest way that I can explain the difference between knowledge and wisdom is this. Knowledge is basic instruction. When you learn something, when you learn a, a simple fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4, this would be like knowledge, getting instruction, being taught something, that is knowledge. Wisdom is the application of that knowledge. When you know a biblical truth, when you know something is right, when you apply that to your life and you live it out, that is living in a wise way. That is wisdom. Wisdom is a little bit different than knowledge, but they are connected. Knowledge comes from instruction. Wisdom, again, is the application of knowledge when making decisions. So not only we see that wisdom or that the fear of the Lord brings wisdom, we also see that it prolongs life. Flip over there in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 27. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. You want to live a long life? You want to live a life pleasing to God? You want to live a life that's going to be full of contentment, full of satisfaction, full of purpose? Live a life of wisdom. Live a life in fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 26 and 27 says, And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. This world will kill you. That's not, that's not just in a spiritual sense, in a physical sense as well. The world is full of things that will try to lure you away, that will try to draw you away from living a life pleasing to God, promising you pleasure, promising you satisfaction, promising you contentment and fulfillment, and all these things lead to death. There is nothing good that's ever going to come out of what the world has to offer. You see, the, the fear of the Lord, it, it prolongs your life because you're living a life in wisdom and making right decisions and living a life that's pleasing to God. So we also see in, in Proverbs 19.23, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. You want to be satisfied in life? Have a proper fear of the Lord. Also we see that it brings blessing. Psalm 112 verse 1 says, Praise ye, Lord. Blessed is a man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Uh, there's a you know, pastor of the past couple uh, Wednesdays, I believe it was, he's been preaching through Psalms and talking about different things, different facts through Psalms. And uh, one day he mentioned Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, uh, if you're not familiar with it, David, is, is uh, he's, he's kind of upset about what the world is doing. He sees the wicked. He sees the outcome of the wicked. He's like, you know, all this stuff I'm doing, I'm trying to live right, trying to do right, trying to please the Lord in everything I say and do. 
and I'm, I feel like I'm not being advanced. I'm not being, I'm not being blessed because of it. But I look at the wicked, and the wicked are doing everything against God, but they're being blessed. They're, they're getting everything they want in life. They're, they're happy. They're, they're fulfilled. They're satisfied. I don't understand. And as you read on further through the chapter, it gets down to I believe like 14 or verse 14 or 15. And David says, then I understood their end. He went to the sanctuary. He went, he went to the house of God. And he understood what was going to happen. You see, all these things, all these things that we see in the world, the, the people that are in the world that, that seem to have it all, they seem to have it made, all that's going to come to an end. That, all that joy, that satisfaction, it's temporary. Whether that be for a day, a week, a month, a year, nobody knows. But I'll tell you this, we do know it is temporary. We want true joy and satisfaction in our life. It comes with fear of the Lord. It brings a blessing. The fear of the Lord brings blessing. The wicked man does not fear God. We see that in Psalm 36, verse 1, and also in Romans chapter 3, verse 18. So not only are we to fear the Lord, go back into Deuteronomy, please. Deuteronomy chapter 10, we'll see the second thing. We're not only to fear the Lord, but we are to follow the Lord. Verse 12, And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways. We are to follow the Lord. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, there are things in our life, where there are ideas that we have about the way we should go. There are times when we say, oh, you know, this, this path here looks pretty good. I think, you know, this is the path that I want. This is the path that's going to provide me satisfaction. This is the path that's going to give me everything I want in life. This is the way I'm going. What the Bible says is there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. There's a way, it, it may seem right to you, but the end thereof are the ways of death, physical death and spiritual death. We don't understand what's, on, what's going down the road because we can't see. We can't see the future, but we know a God who does. So we need to follow the Lord. Also, look over, in, you're in Deuteronomy. Slip back to uh, chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 32. At the beginning part of this chapter, Moses has uh, given the Ten Commandments again to the, to, the, to the new generation, the new generation of the children of Israel. And here we are at the, the latter end of the chapter. In verse 32 says, Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you that ye may live, and that it may be well with you, and that ye may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. You see, God has given us a command. God gave the command of the children of Israel that they are to walk in his ways and turn not to the right hand or to the left. What happens when you're going down the road? I, I see it just going down Wilma Rudolph. I mean, I, I drive down the road. I'm going one direction. I see, huh, Krispy Kreme. That looks pretty good. You know, there, there are things that kind of distract you. that kind of pull your attention away from what you should be doing. And it pulls you off the track. The same thing happens in our Christian life. The same thing happens as we are trying to serve the Lord, as we are trying to walk in the way that God has ordained for us. And we look off to our left hand or to our right and something catches our eye. You see, that's exactly what Satan has for us or that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to distract you, to lure you away from what God wants for you in your life. Something to pull you off of that path. You know, and that thing may not be necessarily evil. It may be, it may be a, a town that you have. You know, the devil says, hey, you know what? You got this town over here. Why don't, why don't you do that for, for you? You got, a, you got a great voice. You can sing. Why don't why don't you go do something else over here where you can, you can make a whole lot of money? Well, if that's not what God has for your life, then that's not what God has for your life. He shouldn't do it. The devil wants nothing more than to pull you away and get you off the path that God has for you. 
we have a couple of promises about following the Lord. First, we find that we are never alone. You're still there in Deuteronomy. Go over to chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and in verse number 8. The Bible says, And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. Now, obviously, this is, this is the nation of Israel getting ready to cross over into Canaan land. And we understand there was a lot of hesitance. There was a lot of you know, uncertainty. They didn't know exactly what was going to come up. They knew the, the land of Canaan was over there. They knew there was a lot of great cities, a lot of walled fortresses, a lot of things that uh, was uh, perhaps daunting to them. They didn't really know what was going to happen. Uh, they didn't know how strongly the other side was. So, of course, there was, there was some hesitance. There was some, uh, some fear, if you will. But the Lord's saying, you know what? Don't worry about it. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Just go do it. Go do what I have commanded you to do. So we have here that we will never be alone. There will be times when following God may leave you physically alone, but never spiritually. Now, what, I, what I'm talking about, what I'm saying, he will leave you physically alone. Sometimes doing the right thing will alienate you from your friends. Sometimes the people that you like to hang out with, sometimes even your own family will think you're crazy and will leave you alone and will, will draw away from you because of following God. Can I encourage you? Don't stop. Don't stop following God just because people have fallen away from your side. If they're not following God, that's, that's their problem. Your job, your only focus in life should be to follow the Lord and to trust what he has for your life. So not only are we never alone, but we're also never lost. Go over to the book of John, book of John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse number 12. The Bible says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not, have, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So we're never lost. Has anybody ever tried to walk in the dark? Anybody ever tried to go outside when it's pitch black? Maybe there's, there's, no, uh, there's no moonlight, there's no stars out, there's no street lights, there's no flashlight on your cell phone. And you're trying to find your way. Uh, so there was a, a story uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in the Iraq. Um, this is a long, long time ago, back in 2003. Uh, there wasn't really a whole lot of infrastructure. And uh, as we, we were getting in there, we we're still kind of living in tents and you know, kind of doing the nomad thing. And uh, one night we were, we were walking back to our tents. And they had, they had started to build up a little bit of infrastructure. And they wanted to uh, put in some shower units. So they had... Uh, they had some local contractors come out with, uh, with big excavation equipment, and they're, they're digging huge holes, like 10,000-gallon sump huge holes. So we're, we're walking around outside, and it's pitch black. Didn't have lights. We're just you know, moseying along, doing our own thing, knowing that our tents are like over there somewhere. If we keep walking this path, we're going to run into a tent. No big deal. So as we're walking, the, there was a, a couple people in front of us that were walking as well, and uh, my buddy Corey and I were just kind of walking along, just kind of, you know, talking about things. And all of a sudden we hear, ah. <laughs> like, that's, that's not good. And so we, uh, we turn on our flashlight and kind of walk over there to see what's going on. And, and there's this, uh, this poor National Guardsman kind of looking up, you know, wondering what's going on. Uh, he, had, he had been walking and he fell into this 10,000-gallon sump. Now, fortunately, there was nothing in it. It was just a, a big hole. Uh, but he fell, and there he was. 
so he, uh, we, we helped him out. We helped, you know, pull him out of the hole. And, uh, you know, he was, he was really thankful. Then he looked down and he realized his rifle still down there on the ground or in the hole. And we're like, hey, bud, you're on your own. That's, you know, we, we pulled you out the first time. Uh, but I, I say that because walking in the dark, if you don't know where you're going, you're going to fall. You're going to fall into a hole. And sometimes that hole could be, you know, a 10,000-gallon sump that's going gonna to be pretty jarring. And it could be just a small little hole that trips you up. But spiritually speaking, when we walk in the dark, when we don't have the, the, the light of the gospel shining our path and, and lighting the way for us, we are prone to fall into a spiritual hole. Uh, pastor talked uh, not too long ago about living or getting out of a rut. You know, there are things that happen in our lives, spiritually speaking, that if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in a rut, find ourselves in a hole that will be a very difficult place to get out of, all because we weren't following what God has for our life, not allowing God to lead us and guide us. So we see that fear of, that with the, uh, fear of the Lord, uh, it brings wisdom, it prolongs life, brings blessing. We know we're to follow the Lord. Thirdly, we are to love the Lord. Look back there in Deuteronomy. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 10, in verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God? We are to love the Lord. Why should we love the Lord? One, well, because he first loved us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Almighty God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. People who he, he knew ahead of time there are those that would accept him. There would be those that reject him. But it didn't matter. He loved us regardless with that what we call what's called agape love, that unconditional love, where it doesn't matter whether you accept him or reject him. He loves you regardless. How you serve him, how you follow him, he does, it doesn't matter. He loves you regardless of where you are in life. And that is the kind of love that, we have, that the Lord has for us. So we see because he first loved us, he also he redeemed us. Look over in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus here, he says this in verse 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Not only should we love the Lord because he first loved us, but also because he redeemed us. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 says it this way, He or who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now there are, there are three words used in the, in the New Testament for this word redemption. There are three words. One of the words means uh, to purchase something at a market. If you were to go to say like to Walmart and to go buy some food, uh, that is the type of redemption, going and purchasing something and taking it out of the market. The other one is to be brought out of the market. So if you were to go and take something completely off the market so that it's no longer available for sale, that is another type of redemption, another word for redemption. And then we have a third word for redemption, which means uh, to loose or to set free. To loose or to set free. And that is the word that is used here, both in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, and also in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. First Peter, uh, in, verse, or in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, puts it this way. 
For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as, a, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Uh, David Cloud wrote in a book, uh, We are purchased, brought out, and released to a life of spiritual freedom in Christ. All three of these words work together when talking about the redemption we have and salvation. And the work of salvation that Christ paid on Calvary, we are redeemed uh, from a life of sin. So we should love the Lord because he first loved us, because he redeemed us, but also because he reconciled us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ turned us from enmity or from an enemy of God to being a friend of God simply by, well, I shouldn't say simply by because dying on the cross is not a simple thing, but his blood is what reconciled us and changed us from being an enemy to being a friend if we have accepted that, that, that blood sacrifice. So we, have, we see that, and there also, uh, there are three words for redemption, but I wanted to point out something else here. Uh, because we are redeemed, uh, the Bible says that we are also, we are bought with a price. When the Bible says we are bought with a price, I want to go over there. Uh, it says, I have here 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 20. The Bible says, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, there, there are churches uh, back in, in this time that really struggled with this idea of being sold out to God, of giving everything to God and being completely given to God for what he had done for in, in their lives. We are no different today. The churches around the world today, even Christians around the world today, still struggle with this same thing of being completely given or sold out to God. We ought to give God our lives, our entire lives, not because it's just a good idea, but because we are bought with a price. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. We therefore are no longer our own. The Apostle Paul says it elsewhere, What know ye not that ye are not your own? We are not our own. We do not belong to ourselves. The decisions we make, they don't just affect you and I. As a Christian, the decisions we make affect those around us. We heard this morning about, about the Great Commission in Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, we have, a, we have a responsibility. We have, an, we have an obligation to reach people around us with the gospel of Christ. If we don't, who will? Who will reach that person, that friend, that, that family member nearest you if you don't? We have an obligation to do that. So not only should we love the Lord because he loved us, because he redeemed us, because he reconciled us, also because he is our rest. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You want satisfaction? You want rest? You want completion in your life? You want to feel whole? Find it in Christ. Find it in the rest of the Lord. We also see he gives us a reason to rejoice. We see that in Psalm chapter 40, verse number 16. The last one, Deuteronomy chapter 4, or, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number 12. And now Israel... What doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? We have, an, we have a commandment to serve the Lord. You see, all these things are written in a, in a specific order for a specific purpose. The very first thing we are to do is to fear the Lord. The proper view of God, the proper view of who God is in our lives, 
is fundamental to everything else. If we don't have the right view of God, if we don't have the right view of ourselves, then the rest of this will never fall into place. We may love the Lord, but that dedication and that commitment to the Lord may falter if we don't see God for who he really is. We may serve the Lord, but it may be temporary because we think there are other things that are more important than God. We may follow the Lord, but only for a certain time until something better comes along or proceed by us as something better. All these things are in order. If we will have the proper view of the Lord and fearing the Lord, then we will follow the Lord, which will also lead us to loving the Lord the way we should, which will ultimately lead to us serving the Lord the way that we ought to. Heads bowed and eyes closed, please. No one looking around. I'll ask the pianist to, to make her way, please. I, I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe you're, you're struggling with one of these four areas. Maybe you're struggling with, with loving the Lord or fearing the Lord or following the Lord. Maybe you're struggling with your service to the Lord. The invitation tonight is quite simple. If that's you tonight, then why not come to an old-fashioned altar and get that right? We have nothing but time in front of us, but that time is short. We don't know when the Lord could call us home. We don't know when the Lord could come back for us. I would urge you, take the time and serve the Lord and love the Lord the way that we should. Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much, Father, for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that regardless of what we do to you, Lord, it doesn't change how much you love us. And God, I pray that, uh, Lord, that every, every person here tonight, Lord, would examine their own hearts. And Father, Lord, if there is something we're lacking, Lord, I pray we get that settled tonight. Get it right before it's, before it's too late. Lord, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to be more effective, Lord, in our service for you. We love you and we thank you for all. First in Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Let's all stand.